Welcome everybody to another episode of the King's Table, where it's all about bourbon, brotherhood, breaking bread. Good movies out. Good movies out. Man, 20, 2021 starting off as a as a good year, at least for movies and music. Yeah, movies and music. In particular, um, everybody's talking about Judas and the Black Messiah, mm. which we all watched. Mm-hmm. Excellent film. Excellent very, film. very yeah. excellent. So we're going to catch up and... Uh, Captivating. Yeah, let's catch up and kind of chit-chat Riveting. about that. Very thought-provoking. Yo. But before we get into the movie and our thoughts on everything around it, what are we drinking tonight? Man, we drinking Doc Porter, which is a handcrafted spirit from, uh, from actually... Our city, right Charlotte, here, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina. So this is actually um, they make a small batch of this. Um, it is again, like I said, it's a it's a it's a small batch. Uh, they make it from scratch, and um, it's very very delicious. And has a first on the first sip, it is a little rough, but the second and third sip and everything thereafter, it smooths out and. You could taste like the sweetness yeah. um, that it has to offer. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I think it's it's definitely got a sweet finish to it. You know, mm-hmm. agreed. <clears throat> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think it was hard on the first side. Yeah, nah, it went down that's, pretty that's smooth. Pretty though. good. I like it. Pretty good. So, fellas, let's talk about this here uh, before we clank it up. Has everybody gotten a chance to see Judas and the Black Messiah? I have actually. I have. Yes, sir. Good flick. Those chairs to episode. Yeah. We don't know which episode this is, but <laughs> but it'll be a good. One. It'll be it's a good one. Damn good one. <laughs> so, fellas, what was everybody's thought on the movie? Man, my my the first word that comes to mind is anger. For me, mm. it's anger. Yeah. Oh, should I exp- should I explain? <laughs> You should. I mean, we wait. <laughs> oh man. So, so like knowing the Fred Hampton story, um, it was like I was just waiting for it to happen, right. and like everything leading up to it, it's like, yo, like how could somebody that's promoting so much peace and unity be such a target and a threat? Yeah. It could be labeled such as a hateful person. Um, I mean. I guess we could talk about it a little a little later on in more details, but to be such a unifier and to be hated for it, that 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 hit me. Yeah. That hit me. Yeah. As was par for the course in that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, I thought <clears throat> if I could describe it in one word, I thought it was raw. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because it was the thing I liked about the way that Shaka King directed it is it wasn't written in a way that made a judgment on Fred Hampton. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It just put the man out there mm-hmm. and you had to deal with it how you wanted to. I mean, because, you know, the thing is, I think for us, you know, being black, you know, we've heard about Fred Hampton. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? We know about the Black Panther Party. And for those that don't, you know, this was an introduction into him. And to be close to the true story, you know what I'm saying? They didn't embellish a whole bunch of things. And um, it told the story of Fred Hampton's last few years in a raw way. It didn't try to sanctify him. Mm-hmm. It didn't try. Now, I think they did go out of their way to kind of vilify the FBI, which, you know, was warranted in my opinion. 
but sure. it, it didn't it didn't try to pass judgment and, and make you think of him in any kind of way. It just presented him as who he was, mm-hmm. which was controversial, but he was a champion. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I, I thought it was dope. I thought it was uh, <clears throat> um, raw, as you stated as, as well, Ken. Uh, but if I had to add my own twist to it, I would say that it was very... Um, <clears throat> Pure, like it was, you know, it was, it was a, uh, it gave the opportunity to see to add the 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 character, yeah, to the to the the name, right. you know, and and you know just the way he moved and how you know the the positive impact that he was was making. I mean, you know, I, there were certain parts of it that I didn't know till I even seen it on the screen. So, yeah. uh, and I and I know the Fred Hampton story well as well. But you know, it was uh, <clears throat> just to see it visually. It, you know, it, like it was very raw, as you stated. You know, because uh, you know there were certain scenes in the movie I thought which was uh, shot very well. <laughs> it it get it, it pulled you in in a way, yeah. like you know, uh, in particular the one. I don't know if it's too early we talking about it, but the one scene at the end where you know his queen was you know right outside the doorway. Yeah. You know, and, and just to kind of think of it from that perspective to see the emotion and the 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 display of the range mm-hmm. yeah. on her face, man. You know what I mean? It was it was so raw and it just kind of gives you that 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 angle to look at from a different perspective too. So very great movie, man. You know, uh I felt angry as well at the end of that, man. <laughs> like all through it, you know, it was just such a um it, it, you know, it's sad isn't even a word, man, to just describe how, you know, people like Fred Hampton were being targeted and, right. you know, um, but like you said, vilified, man, you know, to, you know, I mean, so I, I ain't gonna go too deep in it. We, we're gonna talk about the movie, but yeah, we, we certain parts, but, you know, it, it just really um, brought it to life where, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, the civil rights movement was a long time ago. That's really only one generation ago. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, it's not ancient history. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's very real. It's very true and pure to what it is. Yeah. And and I think it was beautifully shot. Um, great, great, great movie. Yeah. But before we get too far into it, <clears throat> so for those who don't know, who may be listening at don't really know who Fred Hampton was. You know, in a nutshell, he was an activist. He was the uh, leader of the Illinois Black Panther Party um, for that chapter. And he was gunned down at a young age. I think he was 21, 22 years old. When he was killed by the FBI, um, basically the backstory is they had a program called COINTELPRO, which uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who was the, the head of the FBI at the time, basically had a program to infiltrate and kind of take down uh, the Black Panther Party because, you know, he felt like they were dangerous. Um, Not only because they were black and promoting, like, black power, black unity, but also because um, they labeled them communists, which, you know, Fred Hampton was a socialist, you know what I'm saying? As the Black Panther Party was, you know, pretty socialist. They have some socialist views and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, at that time in America, that was a dangerous thing to be, you know. So they were targeted by the FBI. He was killed um, unjustly. He was unarmed when he was killed. And, um, you know, his story is being told now, um, you know, by this movie. And uh, it's an incredible movie. Incredible movie. So, I mean, I, I think... Go ahead. I, I think... For for me, like William O'Neill's mm-hmm. character, like for for me, like that's forget what the FBI agents want. Spoiler to do. alert! <laughs> like we gonna spoil, <laughs> we gonna spoil. If y'all haven't seen it, too bad. Yeah. If y'all, matter of fact, if you haven't seen the movie, hit pause right now. Yes, sir. Go watch the movie mm-hmm. and come back. Okay, so you can hit pause in three, two, one. All right, okay, now we're now back. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so his character, like, that infuriated me more than him saying, like, the FBI's agenda. Because it's like, yo, you you really... And, and you've seen all the good this organization, mm-hmm. organization was doing for the community, for the people. Yeah. And I'm saying, like, and for you to, like, sell that out, you, you know they weren't a hate group. You know that. You said it yourself to them. Yeah. Like... Every time, man, he met with the FBI, bro, I, I had to pause it and walk away to have a say lot moment. Because it's like, yo, we are our own worst enemies. Because yeah. I'm saying, like, if if they weren't able to find a black person to infiltrate, I mean, who else, who else would you find? Right. And the way that he did it. Day after day, and I'm saying transporting, going to meetings. Bro, (laughs) that shit had me emotional, fam. Mm -hmm. And it brought me back to the the movie um, Queen and Slim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It brought up the same feeling that I had Mm -hmm. at the end. If if y'all ain't seen that movie either, (laughs) pause right now and go watch that movie. But um, but yeah, like, yeah, it was a, a, a fictional story. But so often, I'm saying, like, that's a reoccurring, right. I'm saying, story within our community. Whereas, like, yo, we killing ourselves. We giving up. We giving up ourselves. Yeah. You know, I thought, and, and one thing I can say, like I, I've said before, I think Lakeith Stanfield, who played Bill O'Neill, I feel like that brother deserves an Oscar for oh, supporting yeah. actor. Because he... You know, the thing I, I, I liked about the way the role was portrayed is you could tell he was conflicted. Mm. And if you know the story mm-hmm. of Bill O'Neill, he it was like a demon to him. Because after he recorded the interview for uh, Still I Rise, mm-hmm. or no, Eyes on the Prize 2, the PBS documentary, that same night he went and committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Because he was conflicted by what he did. So essentially, here was a guy, he was a petty car thief gets nabbed by the cops, right? And they turn him over to the FBI and they say, look, you can either go to jail for three to five, I think the chart, the mm. sentence would have been, or you can work for us, you can go infiltrate the Black Panther Party and find a way to give up some of their leadership, i.e. Fred Hampton. And he chose to, you know. Not to say five form. years is is nothing. <laughs> right. That's a but, hard time. It, I mean, uh, yeah. Time. But look at like a lifetime that you fucked up for so many other yeah. people. Plenty. Over, over, again, I'm not saying like, like five, 
bro, I get ca- claustrophobic sitting in the bathroom for too long. <laughs> I got to open the door. Like. Right. <laughs> but I'm saying like to, to give up a whole, I'll say like generations of people. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't even arrested when the FBI pulled him in. Yeah. They so, just brought him in. Yeah. And that's so, on document. That's documented as well. Yeah. But that, so that is a little bit different than the actual way it happened. So he 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 hadn't he was still in cars, mm-hmm. drove to Michigan. And that's where he got picked up. He it wasn't that he uh impersonated a cop or FBI, you know. That 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 was a kind of a you know, that's something that the the Writer. The writer used as kind of a, a device, but at the same time, though it it is a tough situation because it's like he should have. And from my perspective, it's like you got to eat that time mm-hmm. if you're a part of this movement. <clears throat> Which, to be fair, during this time we were just transitioning from Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. We were just kind of tr- transitioning from those guys and their their movement into a more you know militant type of thing with the Black Panthers represented, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, especially in the Black community, were not fans of the Black Panther Party. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people did not like them, and let alone America. You know who? Man, they were doing more than the churches were doing. Right, yeah, I mean, they, yeah. feed, they were definitely feeding them. <laughs> their their breakfast program, which Yo. J. Edgar Hoover called the breakfast program out in California the most dangerous part of the party. <laughs> That's crazy. Think about that. Yeah, feeding children for free was the most dangerous part. Of which party. the reason why they started feeding kids was because in school they were failing. So they did their own assessment. Well, why why are your grades so low? And through in through their assessment, the kids were going to school hungry. Yeah. So they they identified the problem. Right, they still are. So they identified the problem, and put their own solution in place. Right. Which. There were white businesses. White businesses that were actually donating the food, for the breakfast. Yeah. Same thing with the um the healthcare uh. The, uh, services that they put in place. Yeah, These were white doctors. Mm-hmm. So if they were such a threat, if it was such a hate group, if it was a racist group, mm-hmm. why you got all of these white resources yeah. in the hood? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes okay. to show, though, that unless I, I think some people in our government, I know for a fact, especially thinking about J. Edgar Hoover, like, if they didn't do what the government tried to mandate them to do, mm-hmm. then the first thing they did was they labeled you as something other than American. You know what I'm saying? So the first thing they labeled yeah. this party as, before they said they were a hate group, they called them all communists. Right, right. Mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Which, to be let's be clear, they were. You know, they, they had that bent. I mean, but that wasn't a bad thing. Well, they had to in that, in, in that situation. Yeah, because they, they wanted to take care of their community. And they, they wanted to have all the community's resources be shared because they kind of had to. Because the government resources that the people were getting, it wasn't enough. Right. Adequate. The public school system wasn't enough. So they started educating their own. 
which goes against the system. They started feeding their own, which goes against the system. They started providing community health care, which was not a thing at this point in American history. And that went against the system. And Hoover has so much freaking power that he could just dictate what happened to these people, you know? And, and I just think it was it's strange to me how history doesn't view him in a certain light. Right. Talk about it. You know what I mean? It's, it's bizarre to mm. me that he's not vilified more. Like, people hate Henry Kissinger more than they do J. Edgar Hoover. Mm. You know, and I think that's, that's bizarre to me. Well, I mean, we got to look at who's writing the stories. Yeah, that's true, too. So, like, whoever whoever's controlling that narrative is going to be the one to <laughs> shape... Shape shape the the picture, mm-hmm. I'm saying, and the light that it want to be viewed. Yeah, so it's dangerous, like, man. And and even like um, so I was listening to, to um, like some of the interviews and stuff. Yo, seventy three percent of the the articles that was written about the Black Panther Party were all written by the FBI. Seventy three. So let's let's think about that that percentage, right? Yeah. And let's think about the narrative. Let's think about the picture that's been painted mm-hmm. of the Black Panther Party. You know what I'm saying? Not all the good they've been doing, but because this the FBI had an agenda against the Black Panthers, it's like I'm saying like whatever 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 beef they had with them is what they're gonna sell. Yeah. Absolutely. It was a cold war. It was. It was it was it was very and the interesting thing about them, I don't think the fact that they fed children and you know, that really wasn't the reason they were so dangerous. I think they represented a, a like black people at that time making the shift to a more militant position. And they understood laws. Mm-hmm. They understood their Second Amendment rights. They understood the Fourth Amendment. So they would watch, they literally had a program where they would watch the cops. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Kind of like we do now with cell phones. Mm-hmm. But instead, they would come in between, they would be armed, and they would come in between cops and people that were being arrested, and they would ask the questions like, you know, what is this person accused of? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, why are you arresting this person? Are they suspected of a crime? What's the crime? You know what I mean? Are they mm-hmm. being detained? And the thing is, they started to represent this, like, higher knowledge of the law than lay people had. Mm-hmm. And they were willing to go up to the courthouse with their guns and say, you know, like, these are our rights. If you don't have a charge on the person, you have to release them. That's what the law says. I demand my rights. Yeah. It's the same thing that we hear with, you know, the insurrectionists. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, they feel like their Second Amendment. That's one thing about it, though. When we start, as we get deeper, one thing about the Black Panthers is they have no problem with guns. If you look at every patriotic mo- movement in this country's history, this country was born by the gun. It will die mm-hmm. by the gun. Mm-hmm. And one thing about it is the Black Panther Party was like the most influential civil rights group that had a very open affinity for weapons. Mm-hmm. And they really abided by the Second Amendment. They were not, 
you know, they weren't a violent group per se. They like they didn't provoke violence, but they would surely defend themselves with violence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that but but that scared the government. It it did. But isn't that what America is all about though? Yeah. Yeah. Cause from yeah. from the from the very foundation of this country, like they came in with technology and, and weapons to um you know, slaughtered people, hoodwinked people, um, had them believe in that. Having them believe one thing, but like, yo, they were being hoodwinked out of <laughs> out of land yeah. and and soon enough out of their country. Yeah, I think, you know, the way America was born, I mean, if we've been honest about it, they so it's something called the conquest ethic, which is, you know, if you listen to conservative think tanks and, and philosophy is something that they talk about a lot, which is basically, you know, if you see something, right, and you feel it belongs to you, you go conquer and take it. You know, and they and they use guns, right? The revolutionaries use guns to obtain their freedom. Then they in turn use guns to, you know, carry out the manifest destiny of, of mm-hmm. taking the United States and, you know, forming a country. And, you know, the Black Panther Party, they were willing to use guns, too, to, you know, for what they thought was right in, in their Second Amendment rights. And people like like the civil rights movement up until then, for the most part, they had achieved what they achieved through nonviolent measures. Well, at this point, there was kind of like this dead zone in time to where things kind of stopped happening. Mm-hmm. You know, especially after Lyndon Johnson left office and Nixon came in, like... Nothing was happening on the civil rights front, you know what I'm saying. So these these folks kind of took it upon themselves, you know, which was needed, which was radical yeah. in and of itself. Yeah, and that and that's what uh, scared the government. I think you know um, it, it showed something that <clears throat> up until that point uh, it was uh, intentionally suppressed in our community. You know what I mean? Uh, any any type we had any any time we had any type of uprising, you know, any any moment of you know we can go back to all the way back to the plantation, or we can you know we can go to Greenwood. You know what I'm saying? We can, you know we we achieved such great things, yeah. independent and and you know in spite of what's going on, you know. So uh, we have that power within us. And that's what ultimately I think is um, the fear amongst the government to for us to have a widespread um, knowledge and, and, and understanding of that. You right. know what I mean? So that catch like wildfire. You know what I'm saying? You start seeing the fruits of the labor, of, like you said, a breakfast uh, program. You know what I'm saying? You know, just to see things like that in our community coming up out of those times, man, look, it's revolutionary. And radical, so you know that you know that any anything like that that disturb the 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 flow or the or the uh, the grip that he had, you know, Hoover on on a, on a you know on the country man, and you know he had to squash it out. That's yeah. that's what his his angle was. You know? Yeah, I mean because you know J Edgar Hoover was behind the charge to label Dr. King as the most dangerous man in America. Right. If you think about what he achieved, when they had the march on Washington, they had like, 
I don't know, half a million people out there at the National Mall. I don't know what the exact number is, but it was a lot. Mm-hmm. The most people to ever ever gather on the National Mall. Mm. And he was labeled the most dangerous man in America for a nonviolent, peaceful protest for freedom. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that people like J. Edgar Hoover saw people like Huey Newton, Bobby Seale, Fred Hampton, and thought to themselves, what if it was 250,000 people at the National Mall armed with weapons? Mm. What does that look like? You know what I'm saying? Mm. And the thing is, like, the misinformation about the Black Panther Party was that they were somehow separatist, racist, and stuff like that. Which, you know, one thing I like that the movie depicts is how Fred Hampton went to a bunch of white guys. Like, there was like a Confederate group there in Chicago, well, the Chicago area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he went to them and said, hey, look, you know what? You guys are dealing with the same harassment from the cops that we are. Y'all might be white, we might be black, but you're dealing with the same harassment that we're dealing with. You guys have no no great paying jobs. We don't have good paying jobs. You guys have trouble getting housing, right? We have mm-hmm. trouble getting housing. Mm-hmm. Your public schools suck. Our public schools suck. What if we came together and we worked together? And before you knew it, they were there. You had people that were quote unquote radical leftists radical writers, right-wing people. You had Confederates and the Black Panther parties all there together, marching together, you know, setting up programs together, working together for the, basically the elevation of poor folks Mm -hmm. and the common man. Mm -hmm. And I I just think that there's forces that don't like that Mm -hmm. because it upsets the status quo. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Could you imagine, like, in today's age, I guarantee the average person that you meet who's not black, if you ask them about the Black Panther Party, they would think that it was some kind of racist group, right. some kind of radical mm-hmm. racist group. That, that's what's been sold. And, that, and that's not the mm-hmm. truth. But like you said, that's what's been sold to them. Mm-hmm. And when you do your real, I, that's why I think it was so brilliant by Shaka, Smart, or Shaka King to put that in the film. To show that, because I mean that was controversial yeah. and that yeah. was powerful. Yeah, yeah, you know, because we're stronger together, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? Because um, at the end of the day, like, and and, and if you can usurp the government, you know, uh, together, because you know, um, the agenda to keep power is to keep you know those who are up under the thumb of your power separate or you know what I mean just thinking divisive in some sort of way you know what I mean so if I can fight against themselves yeah, they can fight against you exactly so I, I agree too that you know that was a, a brilliant brilliant uh, depiction mm-hmm. of how he, he put that together man I love that scene man then you know you seen they were on the uh, court steps where they were wherever they were they were all together and yeah. I'm like man I was just <sighs> I'm like man this this young brother is like 20 years old mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I'm saying baby a yeah. baby you know what Powerful i'm saying like you know, i mean it was just you know some people just you know are are, are put here for specific things man yeah. you know what i mean and he had it yeah. he had it which i think is is, is brilliant in, in the title of the movie yeah 
So so let's talk about that a bit. Yeah. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like <laughs> it. You know what? It, the parallels are, are very intriguing. I mean, you think about it. Bill O'Neill is the Judas character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you look at what he. So some clever filmmaking. Like there's points where, if you notice when. Bill O'Neill's character, when he first starts meeting with the FBI, he's one way. Mm-hmm. But as as the film progresses, by the end of the movie, he's dressed in the finest clothes, mm. right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of represents. And so there, at certain points, the FBI agent played by Jesse Clemens, who also is an incredible mm-hmm. actor. He would Yo, his his role in um the Irishman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's incredible. He was on yeah. Friday Night Lights, the TV show back in the day. Yeah. He's incredible. But he would like show Bill O'Neill's character that that fake badge. Mm-hmm. And then he would give him a few dollars. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you know, here, take some a little money. trinkets. That was those 30 mm-hmm. pieces the of 30 silver. pieces of silver, exactly. You know? And the Fred Hampton is the Messiah character mm-hmm. in a sense. I mean, all these people. It's yeah. just unifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unifying people. Regular people. And, and I think that's what made him more dangerous. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's it. one thing to like be a leader to, to just your people. Mm-hmm. But if you bring in on like the Latin community, mm-hmm. you bring in on the white community, like that's that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a power play. Cause it's like, yo, at, at that moment, if everybody Unifies and comes together. The government, they, the government's not going to have a choice but to listen. They have to. Mm-hmm. They have to. They have to. And, and, I and think, they ain't want to listen because they, they already knew what was up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, because it, like it's it's strange to me that people fail to realize that we are pretty much one generation, if that, removed from Jim Crow. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And if you think about where this this story with, with the Black Panther Party took place in Chicago, the majority of the black people there were part of the Great Migration from the South to go up north into the Midwest mm-hmm. for factory jobs and the, the opportunity to not live under Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. And it it was what nineteen sixty that George Wallace ran for president, and I think he ran again in sixty four. George Wallace is on record as saying, you know, he was for segregation yesterday, segregation today, and segregation forever, right? And so it's very bizarre to me that people feel like there was nothing to fight for. You know what I mean? When you're still mired in like many Southern governors at the time, we're still segregationists, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And like, this was a, like they had major party tickets. And so, these folks had something to fight for. You know what I mean? It, it's like, it's bizarre that people tend to forget that. I'm finna hit you over the head with this question. How do you feel about segregation? You asking me that? Nah, I'm asking the audience. Uh, yeah, asking, yeah, 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 yeah audience, asking, how do y'all feel? <laughs> hit us up on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> or you could call in. <laughs> nah. Um, so personally, I don't, I don't think segregation is, I don't think it's always a bad thing. Mm -hmm. What I believe is that, yeah, you know, we're people, like people need interaction, right? And we're better together. And I think 
I believe in integration. However, I do believe that we need to be able to be self-determined. So what I mean by that is we should be able to educate our children with an education that teaches them where we came from prior to 1619. We need to be able to set up our own neighborhoods, have our own hospitals and things like that. The same way we did in Greenwood, Mississippi, mm -hmm. Wilmington, North, mm -hmm. North Carolina, like Rosewood, Rosewood. Mm -hmm. we, we need to have those things and we need to be self-sufficient because I believe that we can be fully self-sufficient and still a part of this country. We've proven that time and time again. Yeah. I don't think we need to be separ separated. I don't believe in like full separation. However, I do think that we need to be more self-sufficient. That's my thought on segregation. Seth, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, brother. You know what I'm saying? That's And that's the fear. You know what I mean? So the same book that, you know, was used to sub, sub, sub uh, subjugate us to a lot of uh, mentally, you know what I mean, to a lot of these different things. Um, but you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta now take it in and understand that, yo, this is a divine thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like you can't, it's only so long. You can only put, put us there. Like, you know what I'm saying? But they you tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds, bro. But you know, events is looking at you like that. Cause he wants you to answer. Yeah. I want you to answer the question. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was, what was the question? <laughs> If you take two chickens, three goats, what do you have? <laughs> now, um, how do you feel about segregation? Um, I don't really know how I feel about it. I don't, you know, I don't really have a feeling about it, to be honest. I I, I do see that. Um, I think I, I think I think this is what I think about segregation. All right, so you know, I think that. It's important in certain aspects of society, like, you know, when you like in our situation, right? You know what I'm saying? We have to we have to reset. You know what I'm saying? We have to give ourselves that opportunity to not be up under the thumb or feel um in any way inadequate in somebody else's system. You know what I'm saying? And reestablish that self love and self uh respect worthiness you know what i mean and then you know what i'm saying reintegrate into something so you know it, it once you show somebody once you show a king his, his you know his his crown like the luster on his crown like you know it's he's forever changed you know what i'm saying so i think that's in, in that sense with segregation um how it was um unintentionally um uh a great thing really for us, you know what I'm saying, um, is that it, it helped us to reestablish self-worthiness in our community, you know, our sense of community. So like we're rolling into the 60s and things like that. That's where a lot of these movements started really getting, you know, traction. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it was a great thing in that respect. I think that, you know, ultimately, you know what I'm saying, um, it can become dangerous when you um, don't look look at the bigger picture of things. You know what I'm saying? Like this is a big world, and ultimately, 
you know what I'm saying? We all need to hold a position in it. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you know, there's a, such a thing as eye for an eye. You know what I'm saying? I feel that. You know what I'm saying, too. But, you know what I'm saying, on a higher level of thinking of things, like, you know what I'm saying, in state of being, like, you know, we're all above this, all of this shit. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I guess it's just a different way of thinking. Like, you know, we have to really uh, allow ourselves to grow into, you know what I'm saying? But, um, so, segregation, I think, you know, is, is cool in that respect. But I think ultimately, man, you know, we all have different attributes, man, that we, you know, add to the collective. So, and that's, and you know, but we, you, we can't be in a light where we're, we're, we're made to feel like ours is, you know, better than any, any, any less than anybody else's. You know what I'm saying? Because it's, that's far from the truth. You know what I'm saying? And I think they know that. They know that for sure. So, so what are your thoughts on it? I feel like you got strong. Yeah, yeah, he over jotting notes like yeah, he like. <laughs> I feel like you got strong feelings. I, I think, I think desegregation was one of the worst things to happen to Black America. Um, I think that by. I, I almost want to use the word begging to be a part of a society that does not want us as black people to participate in the daily livings, I think that to be, to, to force you to take my, my dollar, it's, when, when you think of the word supremacist, it, it makes somebody else superior or, or super or have power, yeah. right? I think that desegregation gave white people the supremacy in what they were doing, right? I think that as a community, let's just look at the the bus boycott, right? The bus boycott. When they stopped taking the buses and was walking to work, now this is just one not even an industry. Let's say industry. This is just one one industry. Not even industry. Industry is too big. This is just one business. Transportation, yeah. right? You look at transportation, just the buses. It shook the country for the purposes of inclusion. And I'm saying. Uh, wanted to sit on the front. Yo, black people had their own bus companies. Black people had their own uh, taxi companies. So why, and again, this is, this is just one, this is just one economic force that we had, right? We had, we had our own. We didn't have to sit, want to sit at the front of their buses. Those those resources could have went to fueling the black bus companies, the black cab companies. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, it wasn't as, as big as the city buses, but we had our own. Right. What happened when desegregation took place? All the black transportation companies damn near went out of business because folks started taking, they wanted to feel like they were a part of the Joneses. They wanted right, to feel right, right, right. a part of the community. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Now that I could eat at, well, now I could well. order a burger at your restaurant. 
Well, now, now let's, let's strictly, you know, let's on the bus thing. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason why <clears throat> some of the minority uh, taxis and bus companies went out of business is because busing became a public utility, mm-hmm. which is the actual reason. So now you, now you, it's yes, just like, yes and no, but well, it's just mm-hmm. like, it's just like today, right? So for instance, cats here in Charlotte, mm-hmm. I think it's called cats. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a public utility, which is, there's still private organizations that you can use to get back and forth. Sure. However, the government backs cats. Now I get what you're but saying. But they had to though. compete for that contract. Yeah. Cause cats originally, or any, any transportation company is private. Yeah. Then they compete for that contract but, to become a part of whatever local municipality. The thing is, though, in a city, because this happened in Montgomery and Birmingham. Yep. So if you go there, those busing companies, they're not private anymore. Those are public utilities. Just like a, and, and more. Like a Duke Energy. Sure. And so, I mean, there, there's some, some economics behind that and some, you know, some policy behind it. I get what you're saying though, and I, I don't I don't totally disagree. However, I do think that there's it's a misnomer to say that desegregation was so bad for black people. Because they weren't just fighting to sit at the front of the bus. They were also fighting for full citizenship. Mm-hmm. So at the time of Jim Crow, when we were having the freedom rides and things like that, part of the issue was there was there was laws on the table that prevented fair housing we didn't have the full right to vote which in america if you don't have the full right to vote you're not a citizen sure you're still a subject sure they have poll taxes and there were so many things to where it made discrimination legal and it it set a chain of reactions that led to legislations that kind of pulled back now did it does it kill discrimination completely no so i agree with the political aspect, yeah. right? I agree with the legislation aspect. I agree with them saying the the um, the components that would make you be normalized in society. Yeah. For me, my focus is more so on the economics of what a community has. Because if you look at the economic power of Black people, right? We could be our own country, yeah. spending-wise. Yeah. So it's like, if... All of these black people economically are thriving. Shit, we could start our own party. Yeah, but you know what though? You do have the you do have the privilege of hindsight. So we can sit here in 2021 and talk about what black people should have done in the sure, 60s. Sure. But we weren't living then. Right. And you have to understand that. So it's all speculation then, brother? Well, no, it's not speculation, but I mean, so for instance, my parents grew up in the Jim Crow South. Mm-hmm. My mom, she marched through Alabama with Dr. King at some points, and she was a very aggressive. Oh, so woman. you saying because I'm not a, American, <laughs> I don't have the right to say nothing on this? Oh, what no, no, the shit, brother? No, but, but, but for all three of us here, we didn't grow up in that. Sure. And and so the things that I've heard, you know, from them and my aunts and stuff, and my uncles is that a lot of them came straight from sharecropping. Mm-hmm. Or working, you know, in like housework, whatever, you know what I'm saying? They went straight from that to a factory. 
And they, in their own communities, they, they, they had barbershops, they had, you know, shoe stores, they had all these things self-contained in their own communities, simply due to the divide of segregation. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And then after segregation, they continued to shop with their own. But now, these people wanted to feel whole. And it's not that they like turn their backs on their own people purposefully. But I think they ended up in a situation where now that you're fully equal, Mm -hmm. there is a certain protection. There is a certain, I won't won't call it protection, but there's this kind of veil between them and full citizenship that somehow forced them to be self-contained. Once that veil was torn and you became a full citizen and and fully equal, so to speak, Mm -hmm. well now, like, you gotta deal with the ups and downs of that. You know what I'm saying? When you come out of that, it's like, now you gotta compete. Because before you didn't have to compete. You see what I'm saying? And I think for us looking back at it, it's like, well, why don't you just have your own stuff? You just build your own stuff. You know, but you, they didn't have the opportunity to because if you were segregated. So I, I, I see and I understand yeah, that. They, right? You didn't have like the right to just, you couldn't get stuff at the same price. Right. You couldn't get the same pay for what you get. So I, I agree 100%. You know? So where we are here now, 2021, I'm saying like reflecting on the 60s, yeah. 50s, 40s. So right now we're in a position whereas we're able to, because of the experiences that we didn't encounter, but through the knowledge and information that we have, it's like we're able to critique, we're able to see where we fucked up. We're able to see where we could have, where some adjustments could have been made. We're able to see, because in retrospect, I don't see it much different from the 60s to this day. Yeah, yeah, and I'm saying like we, we have more people elected to represent us, so quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. We we have uh, a lot more wealth, right? right? Uh, we have more prominence in society, yeah. right? But as far as when it comes to, shoot, we're still being lynched. It may not be by a rope, they're by bullets now, yeah. right? Or knees, you know what I'm saying? So like, and there's still no justice. Yeah. We're, we're still behind everybody economically so what where's where's the difference what what's what's changed yeah and i'm saying like we could drive foreigns we could have you know the nice houses i'm saying like but at the end we could have the bling we could walk around like we're free but are we really i don't think we are i think part of it is because um particularly our generation we didn't we didn't have to endure um that we didn't have to endure that certain phase of the struggle mm-hmm. like you know what i mean where it was that raw and in, in, in our face and every day every uh return every move you make you know what i'm saying you're really uh outcasted and and you know just in some situations you really had to fear for your life really you know what i'm saying so it's a different level of um, survival, I guess you're going at it with. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So we, I think, in that sense, have a little bit of a luxury. 
So that's that's where it's different from the 60s. Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, however, with uh, President Trump, you know what I'm saying? And it's his little uh, reign, not reign, but, you know, his time on, on as president, you know, we've seen a, a uprising of a lot of those same elements, you know what I'm saying, that were really always there. And right. I think that was the one thing that was beautiful about his time there. It showed, it pulled back the curtain. So if anyone had any type of misconception, uh, like this is what it really still is, you know what I mean? And, and again, this is these are times that my grandparents can speak on, like you know what I'm saying? They didn't pull out hoses now, but you know what I mean? They, you know what I mean? Shit, I still see videos sometimes from time to time a dog biting a motherfucker leg off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? So it's you know it's it's still very much the same in that sense, man. So you know. I think, uh, but we don't, we don't, we we we're not so as connected to that element or that part of the struggle, and I think that's what kind of you know um, makes that the the moves that they made and, and the way they did it, you know, that much more noble to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, super noble, super noble. Yeah, because yeah. I I don't think to 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 the point that I think we're spoiled, right? Yeah. Um. And I don't think that because of being, because of the level of being spoiled, yo, we, we wouldn't be able to march and fight like they did. Right, right. Well, see, also, too, though, you're talking about a generation whose backs were up against the wall. Literally. Mm -hmm. And ours is not. Right. And it, not only were they fighting for civil rights, but so one of Fred Hampton's greatest quotes is um, the most, he said, the most important thing is to stop fascism. Because you got to think about it. These people, many of them have fought in World War II mm -hmm. against a fascist regime. And they saw what happened to the Jews who were singled out as a people. They were a minority, mm -hmm. singled out. And then they, they had to survive the Holocaust, which we know many of them did not. Mm -hmm. And for black people, I can imagine if I were a black person in the 1940s through the 60s, I probably was very afraid of a fascist regime because every all these politicians would say things like it's our heritage mm -hmm. yeah. to be superior to you and you not be equal in, in society not not just societally Elected but legally officials. on the books <laughs> and so they were fighting against that part of it too and i think mm -hmm. now like we don't have that like honestly we're just kind of fighting at this point to not get killed by cops yeah you know what I'm saying? Or if we do, they find some type of justice. Yeah, I mean, but it's it's almost like, you know, I mean, to kind of bring it back to the Black Panther Party, like, these folks were standing up to make their people whole. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Now, what we do with that wholeness is on us. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because there's not a whole lot on the books to stop you now. Right. You see what I'm saying? Like, right. there's no, there's really nothing legally that somebody can do to you to impose their superiority. You know what I mean? Now, we, we, we're we still victims of like racism in the sense of uh, yeah. social, political, Crime bills and all types of stuff, you know? Yeah. But, you know. I, I, I think that we, we need uh, a, 
they're still around, right? But they're just not as prominent or as visible as far as like the Black Panther Party. Um, if you look at man, God God bless the Nation of Islam with the fruits of the fruits of Islam, FOI. They show up to the scenes with no guns. And they ain't being killed. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You you look at so that's a powerful organization that demands respect not only from the black community, but the how many how many of them even like as, as wild as the five percenters are, how many of them are being killed by the police? I don't know. Not not many, if any. If if you look at like if you look at like the um the the Moors movement right now, oh, man. right when they step out when they step up to the scene, how many of them are being attacked or killed? So, I think it's important. I'm saying like I'm trying to be careful with my words. It's it's a, it's important to be a part of a community. I.e., whether it's a black, the Black Panthers or whatever organization it is, it's important to have a common goal in mind because if you don't, we're just sitting ducks, mm-hmm. right? And to also think about, I'm saying, like the economic power. Again, for me, it I, I see just like Dr. Claude Anderson, yeah. I'm saying the uh, with, with powernomics, mm-hmm. yo, economics is everything. It is in this so country. You, it is the only thing. It's the only thing. So, like, you have communities, the Asian community, they're not marching. I'm saying they put their dollars behind whether it's like elected officials or, or lobbyists, and they get stuff done. Yeah. You look at the Jews, the same thing. Like, we look at even the LG, LGBTQ, XYZ, LMNOP. I'm saying, like, yeah, they are marching, but at the same time, they, they centralize their agenda, and they're able to move and they're putting bread up, yeah. economics. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm saying, like, until we as a people, and that's why, like, for me, I'm so passionate about the way I feel about desegregation because we did nothing. Yeah. We a- didn't do anything. A- after, after, we don't even educate our own children. Yeah. I'm saying, like, we rely on people that we say are white supremacists to teach our babies. But let's keep it in perspective, too, though, right? Because we we now moving into what the seventies and the eighties, man. Like you know, you know. I remember, um, you know, it, it was criminal in a way for you know for you to receive government support and have a male in a household. Mm. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And that's, I, so, that's so, crazy. So, 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 Glad you so brought that up. So let's you know, there's different things, different angles. You know what I mean? The introduction of of, of cooked cocaine. Like, you know what I'm saying? In our community. Which, you know what I'm saying? Coincidentally destroyed the Black Panther Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you see what I'm saying? So, uh, it's those types of things, man, you know, that that were there that, you know, uh, even as we were gaining momentum, you know, they were there to to really take the wind out of ourselves. Every, every, like, like if you look at, like, um, out in Oakland, I'm saying, with the Black Panther Party, then saying like fast forward to the to the eighties with the Bloods and Crips, yeah. like bro, like they infiltrated every time. Like let's use the Crips, right? They were a peaceful organization, yeah. and because the government seen 
that them too, they too were feeding children. They too were educating their own. They too were, were looking out for the best interests of, of their people. They threw cracking guns in the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had trains pulling up to the, the middle of the hood full of guns. Mm-hmm. Just stopped. What do you think is mm-hmm. going to happen? Mm-hmm. This train's been here for weeks. Yeah. With a bunch mm-hmm. of guns. With a bunch of guns. Mm-hmm. Mysteriously, right? Mysteriously. And they weren't hard. The trains weren't hard to break into. Same thing them saying in 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 um in Harlem, trucks would be stopped in the middle of the hood, full of guns. Yeah. We for weeks. What do you think is going to happen to that truck? Yeah. And that's why it's so important to to consider that we have to do something with what you're given. You know what I'm saying? Like. Mm-hmm. You know, we can sit around and play the blame game. And I, I think sometimes, like as a community, we're too good at playing the blame game, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But we never point the finger back at ourselves. You know, just because you're given a gun don't mean you got to shoot yourself. Right. You right. know what I mean? Right. So it's it's like... But see, that's where the self-love comes in, though, yeah. bro. And that's where, again, you know, I, I kind of feel like touching back on the segregation question, man. You know, I, I guess I feel like maybe we were reintegrated too soon you know what i'm saying or or um we haven't at least for one generation been able to see the fruits of that labor yeah and i i also think it's because we we have to take accountability Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so once once you're given once nobody can put restrictions on you and you got your full autonomy it's on you. It's just like a kid, right? Like you shelter a child until they reach a certain age and you've taught them, you know, you've trained them the best way you can. And then you send them off. Mm-hmm. Now what they do with their life as an adult is on them. Mm-hmm. And so now I feel like now there's no more excuses for us. Like if we're going to be, if we're going to be anything we must self-determine and become that thing. And I think that's one thing that we lose in the teachings of Huey Newton, Bobby Seale, Angela Davidson, and, and Chairman Fred was self-determine and be great on your own merits. Mm-hmm. But before we get out of here, I want to jump into this last call. We do some quick fire questions at the end of every episode. So I guess first question is... Uh, of all the roles in the movie, Judas and the Black Messiah, who was your favorite character? Fred Hampton. Man, I'm, I'm wrestling between Fred Hampton and um, uh, Deborah, Deborah, Deborah Johnson. Deborah Johnson, his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I, I think for a, oh man, for a queen to have your back yeah. in such trying time and know what the end result's gonna be. Yeah. She but to be sure. able to be with you day in, day out, to hold you down, speak life to you. From the beginning. Shit. <laughs> so I think Shit. Answer, so you gotta be yeah, Deborah John. I, I'll say that because I'm looking at like, yo, to have a to have somebody riding for you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and she know that he wasn't always right, yeah. but she still supported him yeah. in every decision that he made. Mm-hmm. So it's like Man, hats off to her. I, she she's definitely hands down was one of my favorite characters. Yeah. I, I feel like you know uh, 
Fred Hampton, that that character was my favorite. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite performance, though, I think Daniel Kaluuya, I think he's amazing. But I think my favorite performance was Lakeith Stanfield's Bill O'Neill. Mm, because yeah. he played that that character with so much oh, complexity. Man. man, he had me so upset with him Yo, for he, about yeah. two and a half days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Think, he played that way. I sent the man so an email, man. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, second question. Um, the soundtrack. What's your favorite song on the soundtrack? Mm. Damn, what's the what's the Nipsey and Jay? This is track? what it feels like. Oh, yeah. man. Hey, listen, man. When when the soundtrack dropped, mm-hmm. that's the first track I went to, bro. Yeah. And I played it probably about eleventeen times yeah. before I, I eased up off it and listened to the rest that's of the a soundtrack. Great song, man. That's an old Nipsey hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it sound, it was so refreshing to hear Nip though again. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? If, if yo, it was perfect it was for that soundtrack. Perfect, 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 perfect. Dope, dope song. I like that. That's my favorite song too. I think second was the Nas joint. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good soundtrack. I think, man, I I think it's it's one of the best bodies of music that's out right now. Yeah, well, that to, I'll say to ever drop, especially for like a soundtrack. Yeah, it was a good soundtrack. Yeah, that song with White Dave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that song is hard too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Praise the man. Yeah. Yo, this that's something that's like when you on a road trip, you could listen to the whole album without skipping the tracks. Well, not not necessarily. Um, there's a certain artist. There uh, <laughs> that I skip. Who's hey, that songs? Go, but go, the next question breathe, would be: Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't know. Put put me on. No, I mean you know I I think it's a great soundtrack. I don't think it's a ride through from start to finish. I think so, man. I like that. I like that. Something ain't right track too, though. The song with her. Like she's my favorite. Yeah, ooh, that was a good. That was a good opening to the album, fam. That was a good opening to the album. Last question. We got our Fred Hampton movie, right? We've had movies on Dr. King, Malcolm X, even Harriet Tubman. Mm -hmm. So who is the next prominent or maybe not so prominent black figure that you would like to see a film about? Damn. Tassoon Elevator. Very good. Good choice. I like that. Yeah. So Oliver Tour, man, he uh, just just the what he was able to do down in my brother's homeland, right there, man. Like you know, you know, <laughs> I, I remember it as a kid, like so. As a kid, like fifth grade, moving my grandmother, uh, she had a bookshelf full of like it was like a series of books, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but each uh, book would be a specific like type of black achievement, right? So like won't be physicians, boom, 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 boom. boom. So man, I'm just reading through, man. So, but what he was able to do, like oh, you know, shit. what I'm saying. Just, I mean, but he was the nice guy though, bro. Toussaint was the nice guy, hey, man, bro. That's yo, Jean Jacques Dessalines, mm-hmm. yo, he was the Bama, the general cutting heads off, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like, and going to the French with that with with the heads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. oh man, but but Toussaint, <sighs> who would you like to see? I would like to see. I, I think that I I, be, I want to give him flowers while he live, and while he's able to to tell the story from from his lips, from his heart, from his experience. Man, I say uh, the honorable. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Yeah. Because it's one thing to wait till somebody is no longer mm. with us to, you know what I'm saying, want to honor and, but to to have that story narrated from from Self. their lips. Yeah. yeah. That would be That'd be powerful. Yeah. Be because powerful. there's so much speculation about it. Mm-hmm. And right. I think that's why. Though. And he still has a mystique about it. Yeah. yeah I think why. it would be interesting to get, you know, the story from his perspective. Because mm-hmm. I don't even, I don't think he's written a, an autobiography or anything. Nah. So that would be interesting, because he's got an interesting story, just where he started, like as a mm-hmm. musician and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I, I mm-hmm. think that would be funny. Um, I would say for me it would be either Robert Smalls or Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you don't know the story of Robert Smalls, you should look it up. He was he was actually a Civil War hero. He actually commandeered a Confederate ship. Um, powerful story. What he did probably helped the Union win the war. Um, and then also Frederick Douglass, man, because I think he, um, you know, he's he's such an important leader in the American experience. Okay, see, I didn't know we were able to do a second one too, man. Well, I say either or. Because I, <laughs> hey, I can't choose between Because I, I was stuck between Toussaint and Marcus Garvey. Yeah. I would love to see a Marcus, Marcus Garvey. Yeah. I would love to see a Marcus He's Garvey. He's third on my list. Yo, listen, bro. And after him would be Masa Black Musa. Star? Ooh, Masa that's Masa another Masa. one. Yeah. That's a Musa, <laughs> brother. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yo, Marcus Garvey, I bet. So I did a paint night with the kids where we, that that painting up there, we um took like the, the continent of Africa and I wanted them to to paint what they thought about the motherland. So before I did that, um, it's Black History Month, right? So I chose Marcus Garvey as somebody to talk about. Um, told him to do a little research before, you know saying we, we have a dialogue about him. Um, and they're like, wow, like why is he, why wasn't he president? Cause you know, we talked about him saying like the flag and stuff and how he cultivated this ideology of of we we as black people are powerful. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like even if we don't return to the motherland physically, we could return there mentally. Mm-hmm. And um and just hearing like <laughs> just just hearing their perspective of of Marcus Garvey, it's like, man, cuz they're innocent. Like they don't really know. They don't know no. But to to hear their perspective of somebody who held, who still lives with us today, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying like whether you know a lot about Marcus Garvey or not, yeah. like yo that 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 flag's important. That red, black, and green, the Pan African flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that flag is in, like super, super important. And throughout, with each color, it tells a wide range mm-hmm. of a story. Mm-hmm. In a wide range of the mm-hmm. struggle, even down to the green that represents wealth, yeah, mm-hmm. right? Such a wide range of a story because, mm-hmm. yeah, we may have money now, right? In 2021, but do we have wealth? Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I love Marcus Garvey, man. Yeah, that would love, be, love, that love. That would be a brilliant movie. movie. <laughs> yeah. But like sure. that, you know, hey, thanks for joining us. You know what I'm saying? That was a wide range of conversation. If you haven't, please go check out the movie. Black Power! Yes. Black Power! Black, 
Blackity black black. Blackity black black. Judas and the Black Messiah. <laughs> you have to go see this film. It's a very powerful film. If you don't know anything about the Black Panther Party or Chairman Fred Hampton, it's a great way to learn about it. If you thought you knew something about Fred Hampton's story, still go check it out. I promise you'll learn something. And, um, you know, have a conversation with your friends, your family about the movie, about what you got from it. Um, and hopefully you take something positive away from it. So until next time, this is it's the King's Table, where it's all about bourbon. Brotherhood. Breaking bread. Sir, thanks for tuning in.